Well, good morning. Welcome to our Aliyah day. <clears throat> Glad to have you with me this morning. Hope everybody's having a fine day from wherever you're watching. All across the fruited plain, all across the world, tuning in to a episode of uh, Aliyah Day as we are exploring the Parasha Metzorah from a Lepid Jewish perspective, Lepid being a Yeshua-centered Judaism, an authentic, observant, traditional Judaism uh, centered on Messiah Yeshua, just like Yeshua lived, right? That's our goal, to follow Him, because that's what disciples do. Disciples follow their master. They follow their rabbi, and uh, they actually mimic. It's actually, uh, follow is, is really maybe not even the right uh, term. A disciple would mimic their rabbi in every single respect. Very important point historically, because um, <clears throat> As we say, as I have said many times, word mean, words mean things. And so we have to define words based on what they meant and what they mean in a Jewish, um, a Jewish mind, and more particularly in the biblical mind, right? For instance, there's people who say that the word Gentile just means somebody for the nation. Just means somebody for the nations, that's all. That's not true at all, actually. If you look it up, that's really not true. Does it mean nations? Yes, but it always, always, always refers to a pagan nation. Unless there's a couple times where the word goyim is used to refer to Israel, but but it's very important to note that it's always accompanied by a holy nation. So when you're talking about Israel as a nation, you can you can use the word Gentile, so to speak. If you use the word uh, holy, right? Um, but that only happens a couple times. But the rest of the time in all of the Bible and all of the um, Jewish literature, every time you have the word goy, you're talking about a, uh, a person who's outside the covenant, for instance. So I'm just saying that words matter. So therefore, if we're talking about disciple, we've got to define the word disciple as it was defined in biblical error. Right, uh, and so in that time frame, we're talking about someone who mimics a rabbi. So here we have Lapid Judaism. All of that to say that we are trying to find, or not trying to find, but we're trying to follow rather the Mashiach. We already found him. Now we're just following him. Right, <laughs> Metzora. By the way, Yeshua is the Messiah. In case you're wondering, absolutely, without a doubt, proven, etc. And if he's not, Hasve Shalom, of course he is. But let's just say that he, you know, he's not. There won't be one. There's no way that anybody could come along and do everything that Yeshua did. Knock it out of the park, right? It's like watching somebody who has a, a perfect game. Never misses a beat. Not perfect. Absolutely perfect. Wins a championship 100% perfect. No errors. And then we sit in the stands and say, well, there might be somebody else. No. There won't be anybody else. Besides, who could ride in the Jerusalem, I mean, uh, in the Bethlehem, or no, Jerusalem, rather, on a, on a donkey? But anyway, that's beside the point. So let's look at Metzorah. We are going to be looking at the, uh, today's the third day, right? Third day of the week. The Aliyah for the third day is going to be on the Art Scroll Chumash. 
page 623, we are going to be looking at chapter 14, beginning to read in verse 21. And so, continuing the dialogue of what it uh, of how to become uh, declared pure from the, the the spiritual disease of Zarat, and we'll be looking at um, today more closely at the cause of Zarat. Something that all of us need to work on. I read an interesting comment, by the way. Somebody was saying that, that it's all part of God's mercy that we don't have the, the disease of Zarat today. We don't have it because there's not a Kohen. We don't have it because there's not a temple. But the reality is we would all be afflicted with it. And so it's God's mercy that he should just, you know, uh, have this mitzvah or, or this this issue, I should say, not a mitzvah, but this issue be suspended because we would all be afflicted with it. It's always something we have to work on together. Verse 21, If he is poor and his means are not sufficient, then he shall take one male lamb as a guilt offering for a wave service to provide atonement for him, and one tenth ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a meal offering, and a log of oil and two turtle doves and two young doves, for whichever his means are sufficient. One shall be a sin offering and one an elevation offering. He shall bring them to the Kohen. On the eighth day of his purification, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before Adonai, the Kohen shall take the guilt offering, the lamb and the log of oil, and the Kohen shall wave them as a wave service before Adonai. He shall slaughter the guilt offering, lamb, and the Kohen shall take some of the guilt offering blood and place it on the middle part of the right ear for the one being purified, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot. Like we said yesterday, this is indicative of the fact that the one who is becoming uh, declared pure from his Zarat, he's made tshuva, he's made teshuva, he's made repentance. Now he's going to get back on track. And so the uh, situation here is that we have uh, a procedure of putting um, the, uh, the anointing on, the, uh, on the, the ear, the thumb, the right toe, just like the Kohen, just like the inauguration of the Kohen. What is this to teach us? It's to teach us that the mission never changes. We may stumble, we may fall, but the mission that we are called to never changes. And so, in this situation, we are called to be uh, kings and priests. And so, every uh, there is, of course, a Kohanim. There is a, uh, a, a Levites. By the way, there's only three types of Jews. Only three types of Jews. In, in 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 the Torah and in all of Jewish literature, there are only three. In order to be in the covenant, this is very important, I want you to hear this. In order to be in the covenant, there are only three kind of people. Because some people would say, well, you know, the reason that we have Jews and Gentiles, etc., etc., is because there are multiple kinds of people in the Torah. And that's true. But there were only three kinds of people in the Torah, in, in the covenant of Torah. Number one, you have to be a priest. Number two, a Levite, or number three, an Israelite. That's it. That was the only three. You only you can only be in th- one of those three. So there's no there's no Gentile category. There's no Noahide category. There is no French category. There's no uh, Bohemian category. Whatever. It's only Kohanim, Leviim, and Israelites. So you have to be one of those three. One of those three categories, that's it. The good news 
is that you can anybody can become uh, part of Israel through through the uh, you know the method of conversion. You, anybody can become a part of Israel the same way in which every other Israeli became part of Israel uh, to begin with. Our uh, first Jew ever, Avraham. Avraham was a convert, right? So he showed that the way into the family ultimately is through conversion. Now, someone say, well, I guess you could never be a Kohen or, or a Levite. That's not true either. Because Isaiah 66 seems to indicate that God in the end times will take some of the nations, that some of the people who have converted, and elevate them to the office of Cohen and the Levite. It's not unprecedented, by the way. It's not unprecedented at all. Sometimes that's happened, where people have, who uh, have been elevated into those positions. But, you know, listen, if God wants to take somebody and make them a Cohen and make them a, a, a Levite, why can't he do it? He's the one who called them to begin with, right? Of course. So it says, verse 26. Uh, nope. That was already read that one. So verse twenty-eight, Yocho. the Cohen shall place some of the oil that is in his palm upon the middle of the ear uh, of the one being purified on the thumb of his right hand on the big toe of his right foot on the place of the guilt offering's blood, and the rest of the oil that is on the Cohen's palm he shall place upon the head of the one being purified to provide him atonement before Adonai. Verse thirty. He shall then perform the service of the two of the turtle doves or of the young doves for whichever his means are sufficient. Of whichever his means are sufficient, one is a sin offering and one is an elevation offering. Along with the meal offering and the Kohen shall provide atonement for the one being purified before Adonai. This is the law of the one whom there in whom there is a Zarat affliction, whose means are not sufficient for his purification. So this section obviously was dealing with what happens to the poor man. What is the offering for him? <clears throat> I just want to point something out. It was very interesting. I was really reading a little bit um, this morning with uh, Rabbi Nakshoni. <clears throat> and uh, he points out something that Ramban explains. Something we talked about before, but made me think of a particular passage in the, in the Besorah. Ramban explains that what the Torah means to tell us is that the Mazorah cannot become Tahor, cannot become Tahor. Remember, Tahor means pure. And again, for those of you who missed it, the way that you remember the difference between Tahor and Tamei is Tahor you want more, Tamei no way. Tahor is pure, Tamei is unclean, so Tahor you want more, Tamei no way. So it says, Ramban explains that what the Torah meant to tell us is that the Mazorah cannot become Tahor without the pronouncement, without the pronouncement, of the Kohen, even if he has been healed from his Zarat. Now, this, as we've said before, we brought out this obviously indicates that this whole disease is a spiritual phenomenon. Because if you are, uh, if you have a natural disease, if you have a natural ailment, then you're not going to go to the Kohen to pronounce you pure, right? You're going to go to the doctor. So obviously it's not a natural issue, but that's not really what I want to mention. I was looking at this, remind me of something. We often wonder, um, we, well, we wonder, some may wonder, I don't wonder, maybe probably you don't wonder either, but some wonder, <clears throat> you know, did, did, did Yeshua follow the Torah? 
did he follow the Torah? Did he follow the uh, oral Torah? Was he a Pharisee? You know, because there's a lot of confusion about that in our in our world, right? And the answer emphatically is yes. Now I want you to think about who Yeshua is. Yeshua is a manifestation of Hashem. Yeshua is divine Mashiach. Yes, he's divine, 100%. Better believe it. First of all, he's the Torah made flesh, right? Is the Torah divine? Yes. Is the Torah uh, God? Uh, yes, it is, according to the sages. So if he's the Torah made flesh, then he is by obvious conclusion divine. But I digress. So here you have, I just want, I just, the reason I brought that out initially is because I want you to see that who Yeshua is. He's Mimtet. He's the Lord of uh, the, the Lord of uh, the, the host of heaven. And so in Lu- in Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19, we have the story of the 10 lepers. They're not really lepers, the men who are contaminated with Zarat. They come to the Messiah and they said, "Please Yeshua, have mercy upon us." And what's interesting about that in the Basora is that his response to them is not, I heal you, I forgive you, whatever. His response to them, he actually quotes from this parasha. He quotes from Leviticus chapter 14. He says to them, go show yourself to the Kohanim. Go show yourself to the Kohanim. In other words, if anybody had a wonder... I wonder if Yeshua followed the Torah. They come to him. He is the Torah. <laughs> okay? I, I want you to in, understand this. He is the Torah. He's Hashem manifest. He's the divine Mashiach. And yet, he tells them, go show yourself to the Kohen. Why? Because that's what the Torah commands. And wait a minute. That's He might be thinking, that's what I command. Wait a minute, I can't break my own rule. You've got to go see the Kohen. Why? Because only the Kohen, decreed by God, can set to, can declare you pure. Now, as they were going, it says in the gospel, as they were going, they became clean. Which could be, you could make a little allusion to that and say, as we carry out the will of our Father, i.e. Torah, that's when purity becomes manifest in our life. When we carry out His will, had they said to themselves, hey, he gave us a good word, we believe it, but they didn't actually go to the Kohen, they would not have become clean. Now the one, who's a Samaritan, returns and actually gives him glory and, and praise and so on. But he still would have had to go to the Kohen because only the Kohen can make him and declare him clean. In this instance of Zarat. I'm talking about. The sages say that only God can forgive sins. As in a, This is kind of an aside, but only the Kohen can declare as Zarat's pure. Only God can forgive sins. That was the big beef when Yeshua was saying, I forgive you of your sins. Because at the time, the sages were saying, look, only God can do that. They weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. That's the thing. They said, look, you're blaspheming, you're a sinner. Only Hashem can forgive sins. And now you're going around telling everybody that uh, you can forgive the sins. This is wrong. And he says, hey, what's easier to say to, to someone, this, this person in front of me who can't walk? Is it easier for me to say, 
take up your mat and walk? Or is it easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven? Well, it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because there's no proof of that. I can just say it all day long, and how do we know? We won't know until we stand before the judge, right? Of course, right. So it's easy for me to say that. So therefore, he tells them, so that you would know that when I say your sins are forgiven, I actually have the power to do so. I'm going to tell this man to take up his mat and walk. You ready? All right, let's do it. Take up your mat and walk. He jumps right up and goes home. Now they knew he was right. But anyway, I want to bring something out from the Gudnik Humash. The uh, Gudnik Humash here. Just an insight. Because remember, Zarat is a spiritual disease, the root of which is pride and arrogance. Fitting topic, given the fact that we are preparing <clears throat> for Pesach and getting rid of our hametz, right? And remember, hametz does not represent sin. Very common misnomer. does not represent sin. It represents pride and haughtiness and arrogance, which is the root of sin. Because we don't sin unless we are so um, arrogant. We don't sin unless we think ourselves uh, so special, right? So the point of the way in which to get rid of sin is to work on humility and to work on the concept of I am dust and ash, like Abraham said before Shem. So there are three elements here. I just want to touch on this. There are three elements um, that are used, uh, actually four elements, I'm sorry, uh, four that are used to create a, a um, well, a potion's not the right word, but that's the word that's in my mind, so I'm just going to say a, a potion, if you will, or a, a method for bringing atonement or, or purity ritual for the one uh, who's been afflicted with Zarat. And so the four elements are two live birds and uh, so a cedar stick and some hyssop and some crimson wool. And so what do these symbolize? So I just want to bring this out. Rashi says, live birds means bird means birds that are not trefa. That is, they need to be without a disqualifying defect or injury. The reason you can't eat just any beef, can't go to uh, Walmart and buy brisket, is because it's trefa. It has a defect. It's not properly kosher. Um, so it says pure birds excludes those of non-kosher species. So you have to bring kosher birds, kosher birds that have no blemish. Now why? Why the, why the birds? Right? Why the birds? This is the, it says, this is because the lesions of Zarat come as a result of gossip, which is done by chattering. Therefore, this person is required to bring birds for his ritual purification which Twitter constantly with chirping sounds. So the reason that the Zarat person had to bring two live birds is because he was the first one that had a Twitter account. He was the first one that had a Twitter account, and all he did was speak Lashon Hara all the time. So as a result of his Twitter account that he had, where he spoke Lashon Hara, he had to bring two birds at Twit. But seriously, this is the illusion. The, the, as you, you've been around birds, you know, they, they chatter. They, they, sound, they sound beautiful, right? But this is the issue. The, the illusion is because you're talking, your little beak is flapping all the time. This is the cause of your illness. It says, why cedar? 
Rashi, because lesions of Zarat come due to haughtiness, which is symbolized by a tall cedar tree. All right, so now we have the two elements which present our problem. The first is that we have two birds that are chattering, they're, 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 they are tweeting, and we realize that that's the source of our problem. We, don't, we, need to, we need to speak less, which is really something we should all do. Speak less. And the, the uh, cause of that was that we saw ourselves as a big, tall cedar tree, that we, we, were, we thought we were uh, so much better than everybody else. Now comes the solution. So why is crimson wool and hyssop used? Rashi, what is the remedy to be healed of Zarat? He must humble himself from his haughtiness like the worm used for the crimson dye and the hyssop plant which does not grow tall uh, at all. So in order to combat the uh, gossiping, in order to combat the haughtiness, we have to become low like a worm and low like a hyssop. So we have in this in this mixture in this in this uh, ceremony anyway, I should say, we have the problem and the remedy together. Now, <clears throat> I want to bring something out here again. This is something else about the Mashiach from the uh, Gudnik Humash. Something we've covered a little bit, but I just like the way that they said it. So we're going to go through it just really quickly. <coughs> Pardon me. It says the Talmud describes Mashiach as he exists during the state of exile, waiting to redeem the Jewish people as a Zarat sufferer. Uh, for while this, by the way, that's quoted in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 98b. For while Mashiach himself is totally pure and holy individual, he nevertheless bears the suffering of the Jewish people in exile, as it is written as Isaiah 53. Remember how we talked about Isaiah 53 is absolutely about the Mashiach. They quote Isaiah 53 here and say, In truth he's borne our sickness and endured our pains, yet we held him we beheld him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Again, he's doing this for us. We thought he was being punished by God because he was a sinner, Hasvishalom. So it says the ritual purification of the Zarat sufferer that we read in our parasha thus alludes to the true and final redemption when Mashiach takes the Jewish people out of exile. From this we can learn, Mashiach is not a person who will spontaneously arrive with the redemption. Rather, he is found in exile with the Jewish people and it helps to bear their difficulties and sorrows. In other words, when he says, I'll be with you always, he is literally with us always. He's with us in exile. Why? Because another point of view from Judaism is that the Shekinah is exiled with us, that the glory of God is exiled with us. The Shekinah is also synonymous with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Spirit of God who is exiled with us. So the question is, wait a minute, is Mashiach uh, exiled with us or is the Shekinah exiled with us? And the answer is yes, that's right, you're correct. Because, my friends, they're one and the same. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Rabbi, how can you say that? Remember yesterday how I said that the Midrash Rabbah teaches that the spirit that hovered over the waters of the deep at the beginning of creation was the spirit of God, and it also says it was the spirit of the Mashiach? Well, the spirit of God would be the Shekinah. 
The spirit of Mashiach would be, of course, the spirit of Mashiach. The, the question became, is it the Shekinah that hovers over the water or is it the spirit of the Mashiach? And the answer is yes. Therefore, the Shekinah and the Mashiach are one and the same. So it says, Parashat Zadzirah contains the laws of the afflictions of Zarat, alluding to exile. Parashat Metzorah, on the other hand, contains the laws of ritual purification of Zarat, alluding to redemption. So, Zarat is exile. Metzorah is redemption. The fact that these two parashot are usually read together teaches us that we should not perceive exile and redemption as two separate sequential events. Rather, each mitzvah that we observe in exile should be actively infused with the knowledge that it's an act which hastens the redemption. To bring down another thought with respect to that is that the uh, the sages have taught that the reason God exiled us, ultimately, yes, because of our sin, yes, because of Lashon Hara, actually, Lashon Hara, um, but God had another purpose. Because very often, my friends, when we fail and we have a sin in our life, um, Hashem uses that for His own divine purposes. So the sages say the reason that we are in exile is to do what? To gather in the holy sparks. To The very purpose for us being here is to reach the, the holy sparks of the nations and gather them into Israel. And as a result of doing that, we are actually hastening the redemption. This is why I just want to emphasize again, I've mentioned it a few times, by you becoming, or, or living rather, an, a Torah-observant life, by you lighting candles on Shabbat, by you eating kosher, by you preparing for Pesach as you're doing right now, cleaning out your house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By you doing all these very little things, all these different things, some of them are big, some of them are small. Every single mitzvah we do, this is what we have to understand. Every single mitzvah that we do hastens the redemption. Hastens the redemption. Every single one. Conversely, every sin we do uh, delays it. So it's very much we're partners with God, and this it, we're not we're not just this is uh, this is by by the way, friend. I was just gonna this kind of a thought occurred to me all of a sudden. I said we're partners with God. I was gonna say that we're not we're not uh, spectators. We're not just standing on the sidelines watching the game happen. We're part of it. And one of the, uh, a, a mental illness that has infected people over the last few years, and I say mental illness, um, and I'm not being facetious, I, I believe it to be a mental illness, is this obsession with conspiracy theory. And they, there's a lot of them, right? We, uh, we knocked down the Twin Towers, it's ridiculous nonsense. Um, we, we didn't actually land on the moon, again, absurd, um, the earth is flat, you know, that's, seek help if you believe that. Uh, things of this nature, all these, and there's one thing after another, conspiracy theory, conspiracy, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, it's, uh, those, that's mental illness. But what does it do? What's the other effect of it? Okay. Well, if if we believe in all this conspiracy theory nonsense, then it creates us, A, we become victims, and B, we have, 
we're just spectators. Everything is just, we're being manipulated. There's nothing we can do about it. We, they're, they're, our efforts don't matter because even if we try to, uh, you know, expose it or whatever, uh, if you're a conspiracy theory person, um, if you try to expose it and then they deny it, then that just proves your theory. It's crazy. It's 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 circular reasoning. But the the what I'm trying to say is that when we view ourselves as every little thing that we do for God, every little thing, every big thing we do for God, we are actually partners with Him in bringing about the redemption. Then we're no longer spectators and we're no longer victims. And I'm telling you something: one of the worst things you could do in your life is be a victim. That sucks all the power and energy out of your life to affect anything. Because if you're a victim then you're, you're just at the disposal of whoever is victimizing you. And we are not victims. We are actually overcomers in Mashiach, right? All right, let's read something. A couple more things, last couple minutes. In earlier generations, our parasha was referred to as, not to not as Mitzora, but as Zos Tehiye. That is, this will be the law. But more recently, this name was rejected by Jewish custom. And the inner reason for this change is that the Jewish people became more aware that Mashiach's coming is very close. And it is thus inappropriate to, to refer to this parasha as this will be, in other words, in a, some distant future time. But rather, we should call it Metzorah, which is another name of the Mashiach. Why? Because the time of the Mashiach is at hand. We can hear, as it were, the proverbial footsteps of the Mashiach. Which, by the way, as I just got through saying about how our mitzvah keeping actually uh, hastens the redemption, if we understand that the, the time of the Mashiach is near, and may he come this year then that should spur us on all the more to become observant. And that's why I believe that this Lapid movement is what it is at this time. Why it wasn't like this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 100 years ago. Maybe it's because the time of the Mashiach is at hand. One final thing. The ritual purification of Zarat sufferer is through the laws of the Torah. This will be the law of the Torah, or the Zarat Sufferer. Thus, one of the most effective ways to accelerate the coming of Mashiach is to study the concepts of Mashiach and redemption as it is, as it is written in both the oral and the written Torah. End of our Aliyah today. I want to thank you for joining me. I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful, and amazing day. We will. With God's help, see each other tomorrow. And until then, share this uh, broadcast, share the podcast with somebody. Uh, go out there and try to find a holy spark, especially during this month of redemption. Let's see if we can encourage people to take up the mantle of the living Messiah, Yeshua. May his name be praised and blessed. Shalom, shalom. We'll see everybody tomorrow.